open up your Bibles. Last week, if you were with us, these last few weeks, we've been on a journey walking through the way section of Mark chapter 8 through Mark chapter 10. And on three occasions, Jesus tells his disciples he's going to Jerusalem to die. And he is going to be, in his own life and ministry, he's going to fulfill the the vocation to be the beloved son. He's going to be what Isaiah saw on four occasions, the suffering servant. And he's also going to be the anointed ruler and Messiah. And all three of these realities find their crescendo in Jesus. But no one, as far as we can tell, saw all three of those hope for realities finding their crescendo in one person. So Jesus is the beloved son, aren't you thankful? Jesus is the anointed ruler, the king of kings, the Lord of lords, Israel's Messiah, and Jesus was also the Messiah who suffered and gave his life on the cross. And so for three chapters, we're looking at how the disciples are under the influence of other leaven or yeast we talked about than the yeast of the kingdom of Jesus. And we just looked at this verse, be careful, Jesus warned them, watch out for the yeast of the Pharisees and that of Herod. And so the invitation over these last few weeks is come under the influence of the fullness of who Jesus is, his grace and his truth. Turn to your neighbor and say his grace and his truth. And last week we looked at the various dynamics of how we can kind of choose one or the other. I'm a grace person. I'm all about the favor, and it's just I can live how I want. Or I'm a truth person without the revelation of the character and kindness of God. How many know Jesus is the sole and perfect, sufficient, all-encompassing reality that we want to be under the influence of so that to a world who's starving for bread, they can find true nourishment in what we offer, the person of Jesus Christ. And so... We don't want to be under the influence of the religious spirit that represents the Pharisees, the the political power, possessions, coercion, violence, hatred. That's Herod. We want the yeast and leaven of the king and his kingdom to transform us so that when the world sees us, they see him. And this is why Jesus could say, if you've seen me, John chapter 5, John chapter 8, John chapter 12, John chapter 14, they're like, show us the Father. He's like, guys, do you not understand? You've been looking at him the whole time you've been with me. And so this is what we're going after. When they look at us, they see him. So how many think that they need to be a recipient of grace? Because all too often I'm under the influence of other things than the yeast and leaven of the king and his kingdom. And so God's got work to do. Turn to your neighbor and say, I'm a working project, and I'm happy about it because I'm not quitting. I'm not shrinking back. I'm pressing in. And so in Mark chapter 10, next week is Palm Sunday where we we study each year the triumphal procession when the king rides into Jerusalem. I can't wait for that. We have a special announcement next week as well. But this week, there's a couple lessons in Mark's gospel. So get your Bibles. Chew on Mark 10 all week with me. I've been living in these passages for about a month, month and a half. We come to our first stop and our first story that we draw some additional implications for how the disciples are still under the yeast, the leavening influence of the Pharisees and of Herod and how Jesus is right there to coach them 
and encourage them that his kingdom is different than any other kingdom. So starting in Mark chapter 10, verse 13, people were bringing little children to Jesus to him for him to place his hands on them. But the disciples, say it with me, rebuked them. When Jesus saw this, he was, say it, indignant. Now show me your Jesus indignant face. I mean, I don't know what it looks like. He said to them, let, the, read it with me, let the little children come to me and do not hinder them. For the kingdom of God belongs to such as these. Truly, I tell you, anyone who will not receive the kingdom of God like a little child will never enter it. He took the children in his arms, placed his hands on them, and he blessed them. So stop number one in Mark chapter 10. The disciples think that they're the custodians, the kingdom bouncers, those who, like the Pharisees, they're the ones who get to name who's in and who's out. And in the first century Greco-Roman world, children were viewed through the lens of having no status. They were basically expendable and they were completely insignificant. By receiving children, there was, it in no way increased your bottom line. It didn't get you ahead at work. It didn't make your appearance or your facade or the aura of your life. It wouldn't increase anything in any social circle or any friend group or at work. Children were viewed almost as a, a worthless commodity. In fact, this is one of the most dynamic realities of the early church. That we want your unwanted. And here the disciples need a crash course lesson that in the kingdom of God, your status in the flesh does not get you ahead when it comes to participating in the kingdom of God. Become like a child. Jesus is indignant because this is the way the yeasts and the Pharisees and the Herods and the ways of the world, we accept people based on their performance, their pedigree, their possessions, profession, what have you. But in the kingdom of God, if you've got a pulse and a heart of humility, you are welcomed with blessed, loved arms through the Savior of Jesus Christ. There is nothing you or I bring on our end of the equation that either qualifies us or, frankly, disqualifies us except for pride and the unwillingness to receive the, the blessing of being enfolded in the arms of the Messiah in a posture of smallness and humility. And in that posture, we find ourselves counted as the beloved and the blessed. So in Mark chapter 10... We learn this important dynamic. All of kingdom life is a gift, therefore it is to be received and cherished. Aren't you thankful for the good news gift of God's grace? You and I are accepted and welcomed because he's generous and he's in a good mood and he's got a big old house that Jesus, I'm believing, John 14, I want him to keep having to add rooms onto the Father's house because Cornerstone Church, the church of Santa Maria and Central Coast, 
so carry the heart that those that culture says has no status are insignificant, expendable, arms distance, arms length. They don't add to our value as far as in the arm of flesh and what our peers think of us. But those are the ones we want to invite in because those are the ones the kingdom of God belongs to. And so think right now, who are those among us that would culture would consider, and sadly, maybe even church culture, as expendable or statusless or insignificant? Church, we will find ourselves among the blessed when we welcome those that Jesus Christ welcomes as well. And so the disciples, this wasn't one of their good moments. Jesus was indignant. Jesus was indignant. Do not hinder them from coming. How many are thankful that Jesus has room in his kingdom for those that culture says are worthless, are expendable, are throwaways? How many are thankful that you have been welcomed into Jesus' kingdom because he is good and kind? That's lesson number one. Say amen. I'm going to keep going. So become like a child. All of life in the kingdom is a gift to be received and cherished. Episode number two, we call him the rich young ruler. Raise your hand if you've heard of the rich young ruler story. I'm just going to read it and make a few points. You, listen, as we read this little excerpt from Mark 10, remember what we just read. A child, statusless, innocent, humble, nothing to offer in their own flesh totally at the mercy of those who have power around them and over them. Think of the posture of a child. Now see what the rich ruler's walking in and just hold them up in this place of contrast. As Jesus started on his way, a man ran up to him and fell on his knees before him. Good teacher, he asked, what must I do to inherit eternal life? Why do you call me good, Jesus answered. No one is good except God alone. You know the commandments. You shall not murder, you shall not commit adultery, you shall not steal, you shall not give false testimony, you shall not defraud, honor your father and mother. Teacher, he declared, all these I've kept since I was a boy. Jesus looked at him and loved him. One thing you lack, he said, go sell everything you have and give to the poor and you will have treasure in heaven. Then come follow me. At this, the man's face fell He went away sad because he had great wealth. Jesus looked around and said to his disciples how hard it is for the rich to enter the kingdom of God. The disciples were amazed at his words. But Jesus said again, children, how hard it is to enter the kingdom of God. It is easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for someone who is rich to enter the kingdom of God. Of God. The disciples were even more amazed. This is amazement number two. And he said to each other, Who then can be saved? Jesus looked at them and said, With man, this is impossible, but read this with me, but not with God. All things are possible with God. Then Peter spoke up, <clears throat> We left everything to follow you. Truly I tell you, Jesus replied, no one who has left home or brothers or sisters or mother or father or children or fields for me in the gospel will fail to receive a hundred times as much. In this present age, homes, brothers, sisters, mothers, children and fields, along with persecutions and in the age to come, eternal life. But the many 
who are first will be last, and the last will be first. You could not have two stories back to back that have more contrasting characters as the point. Here is this elite upper echelon of culture status. He was certainly, this is why the disciples are twice amazed, would have been easily considered amongst the blessed by God because he was affluent. He was wealthy and well off. He was one that everyone would know his name. He was an important insider. And the problem is he started off on the wrong leg. What must I do to inherit eternal life? And how many have ever had to wrestle with the reality that you and I cannot save ourselves? In fact, all of our duty to try to save ourselves is doo-doo in comparison to the grace of God that alone is sufficient to save and to heal and to cleanse and to adopt and redeem and regenerate. And the problem with wealth is it creates options. And how many know Jesus is aware that the more we have, the more it has the capacity to hold a central place in our hearts? Can I get an amen? In many ways, it can be said, the more you own, the more you have an opportunity to be owned by the things you own. And so Jesus isn't harping on wealth per se. I'm thankful that God has raised up and given some the ability to us. To, to accumulate and to grow commerce and business and, and finance. And for those who, who literally are just have a knack and are gifted in the realm of finance, that's not what we're talking about here. This is a story in a dynamic of discipleship and being leavened by the way of the king and his kingdom, which is the way of the cross. Jesus is saying, you're really going to struggle with this because you're affluent, because you're wealthy, and you're used to options, but when it comes to following me, I will have no other place in your life but number one. And this is just offensive. If you're honest, it's offensive. This is a good guy. I mean, he's upright. Did you, I don't think he was actually lying. He's probably actually kept five of those six horizontal commandments. He left off one, don't covet I promise, read the text. Jesus quotes five of the six of the 10 commandments that have to deal with horizontal, you, you and me relationships. He leaves off, thou shall not covet. Perhaps because this man's driving ambition for accumulation for more, for, for the, maybe this is what really drove him and it was the thing that Jesus kind of goes back door. Come on, who's ever seen Jesus go back door on you? He's like, I'm doing good. I've kept five or six of those commandments. You lack one thing, dude. You love something more than me. It will ne you'll never get over that hurdle until you let me take the first place in your heart and life. And then the things that you possess and your talent, your, your pay grade, your, your, your influence with culture, then you'll have a place to put the rest of those things when you submit to my place of supremacy in your heart. And the reality is this man did not need another law to obey. He needed a new master to reign. Ooh. And Jesus looked at him and loved him. And I'm telling you, Jesus looks at us and loves us. I love that Mark includes that. Jesus isn't grumpy. He just allowed all the, imagine the joy of, and the messiness that children bring. I've got four. And so... 
It's wild. It's crazy. But let, you know, I can imagine parents. I got to get to the rabbi. He's the miracle. I don't want him to touch my, I want him to bless us. I, I want him to love us. I, I want to be included in what Jesus is doing. And, and then this man that everyone would have said is already on the inside, already blessed, already has status, is super important. He's the one we all want to grow up to be like. And Jesus says, I love you, dude. But you've got an issue, and it's bigger than law-abiding, law-keeping. It's the issue of your heart. And the reality is, sir, you can do nothing to get to me and to live a life that pleases me. The number one thing I'm after is your heart and supremacy in it. And I won't force my way in there. So for this guy, go sell everything and give to the poor. He knew Jesus is really smart. He knows what we need so that he becomes first place in our lives. How many are thankful for that? That this isn't a one-size-fit-all, and you don't have to freak out if you're like, gosh, I have money. and Like, follow the Spirit. If the Lord's saying, do it, do it. This is a, a, a unique reality and dynamic, but the principle applies to all of us. Say that with me. The principle applies to all of us. For this guy, he knew, Jesus knew, it was going to take this thing, sell everything, then come follow me. Jesus needed to clear the competing ideas, idols, places that this man would kind of rest his identity and his purpose and his significance and his place and posture and culture. Jesus knew that needed to be removed so that they could have a talk about lordship. And I'm just curious, what are those things in your life, in my life, in our life, the man, I think they're essential, but Jesus says, no, they're not. The, no, they're not. the essential thing is that I am first place in your heart. And I'm convinced that many of us may misdiagnose our problems when in reality we all need a new master. You cannot serve both God and money. How many know money is a pitiful master? You never have enough. Uh, my wife and I, on our, our day off a couple days ago, we, we watched that, uh, the documentary of the college entrance schemes. Remember that with Rick Springer or whatever his name was? And all the wealthy, they already are like billionaires, but they have to cheat to get their kids to go. My point is, like, money is a terrible master. You never have enough. And then when you get it, then you're skeptical. You got to keep it. And you gotta, it's just this endless, just read all of 1 Corinthians chapter 6. Those who want to get rich fall into traps. Paul has a word about the pursuit of wealth for its own sake. But how many want to say, God, all that I have is yours. Leverage it for your purposes. You're first in my, in my heart and in my life. And so the disciples are shocked and they're astounded and amazed twice because they're like, this guy was certainly one of the inside. Jesus is like, no. Sometimes what you have is a hindrance because you think it'll get you ahead in my kingdom, but there's nothing you could bring that I don't already possess, but I want you as the offering, as the gift, because I want to fill my life with, your, with my love, your life with my love, but I can't if you love all of these other things more than me. I've said this so many times over the last three, four, five years. Nothing can separate God's love for us. Thank you, Ray. That should have been like 50 amens. Nothing can separate his love from us. Amen? Amen. Jesus looks at him and loves him, even though he knows he's all bound by idolatry to his stuff. But there are many things that separate my love for him. 
That's sanctification. That's discipleship. That's what this, like Jesus loves you. He loves the world. He is lavish. He's opulent. He's generous. He's never, he just never stops with his love. He is an endless fountain of seeking to bless, shower peace and redemption and salvation and healing. And there is nothing you and I could ever do to change his orientation or posture towards us, no matter how broken, bound, or sinful. But there are a billion things and options that I can get lost loving more than him. Many things cut off my love for him. And because he's a lover at his core, he's longing for that reciprocated response. Because I've loved you with everything, I've made you to love me with everything. That's good stuff right there. Okay, let's keep going. Mark 3, we're, I told you this, we're, this is just... Beautiful time, Mark 10. Next episode, it gets easier. Jesus takes it real easy on this one, on the disciples. Then James and John, sons of Zebedee, the Thunder brothers, came to him and said, Teacher, we want you to do for us whatever we ask. Come on, who's ever had a kid do that? Like, they come up to you like, Dad, Mom, just say yes. You're like, to what? You imagine James and John, they probably have some built-in pride and obviously arrogance because they're part of the inner three, Peter, James, and John. And they figured Jesus is, yeah, maybe he's in a good mood to do a favor for us. What do you want me to do for you, he asked. They replied, let one of us sit at your right and the other at your left in glory. Small ask. <laughs> you don't understand what you're asking, Jesus said. Can you drink the cup I drink? or be baptized with the baptism I'm baptized with? We can, they answered. Jesus said, you will drink the cup I drink and be baptized with the baptism I'm baptized with, but to sit at my right or my left, that's not for me to grant. These places belong to those whom they've been prepared. And when the 10 heard about this, they became indignant. Oh, there's the word again. Indignant with James and John probably because they wish they had asked first. <laughs> oh, those guys. I was just going to ask him if I could have his right or his left. I don't know. That's a guess. It's not in the Bible. Jesus called them together, and here's the master teacher. How many are thankful Jesus deals with us in such a spirit of tenderness and sometimes with an edge, but we need the edge. So Jesus calls them together and said, you know that those who are regarded as rulers of the Gentiles lord it over them. Their high officials exercise authority over. Key word in that sentence is over. How many know we are formed in the realm of power from our culture in a power over paradigm? It's about dominating, getting yours, grasping, grabbing, climbing the ladder, being in charge, being awesome, being better. This has nothing to do with kingdom ambition to want to be excellent and to grow in your gifts. Those are different conversations. This desire to power over does not find its origin in the heart of God. So, not so with you. That's the yeast of the Pharisees in Herod. Instead, whoever wants to become great must be your servant. And whoever wants to be the first must be slave of all. (laughs) 
We can't change the way of Jesus, folks. He sets the terms. The, the, every kingdom takes its shape, the contours of its character, of its attitudes and its action takes its shapes from its king. And Jesus is our king. He sets the terms for life in his kingdom. And Jesus says, that's not how my kingdom works. Power over domination, manipulation, coercion. Just get yours and then keep yours. That's why we started with the ch child story. And this is the, maybe the most, one of the most important, certainly, verses of the whole Bible, certainly Mark's gospel. Read it on the screens with me. For even the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. If you remember, this episode started off with the question, just like the previous story, what must I do to inherit eternal life? Oh, buddy, let's go on a journey. This starts off with the question as well. Jesus, we'd like to do you to do for us whatever we ask, right or left. This is the one-liner that I felt like the Lord gave me to illustrate the primary point of this story. Pursue proximity to the king, not a position for the king. Let it sit, let it sit, let it sit. Let one of us sit at your right or left. These are, these are positional realities. When you come into your glory, we want to be your right and left-hand man. But what if they had taken all of their energy, all of their ambition, because listen, ambition is a good thing if it's sanctified. God doesn't like, you don't come into the kingdom and then he's like, crucify the flesh and then crucify all desire and any desire to be significant, to grow, to be excellent, to use your gifts and your talents and abilities. No, I want to sanctify and leverage all of those things for my glory. I want you to be a city on a hill. And what's included in a city? All the seven cultural steams, media, art, business, science, all of it, religion, all of the cultural influences. He wants you to be great, to be excellent. The problem is when you haven't submitted and surrendered that thing so that in the desire to express excellence, it is first and foremost out of a heart that is embodying the way of the king and the only everlasting kingdom. Yeah. And so the, these guys are asking for a position of greatness when they already had the privilege of being in the inner three. They already had proximity to the king. How many know that true greatness flows from being connected to the great one? Can I move on? I'm doing really good on time. I'm, this is the last story. You don't know what you're asking. Aren't you thankful? Man, I bet you when we get to the age to come and we bow before Jesus, and he says, you have no idea how many things that in my goodness I did not answer for you because you were asking amiss. You knuckleheads, if I had given you what you asked, you would have been sowing the weeds, that thing, that would have derailed you. Your character couldn't have taken all that I asked. How many believe that for him to do a great work through, he wants to do a great work in and with? Man, I want to believe that we're on the verge. We're on the edge of God doing something special in and through our collective yes. This is why we've been on this series because if we all find ourselves being leavened and influenced by the yoke of Jesus, the cross of Christ, there is nothing he could not, there's nothing that God can't do through us who've given ourselves over to Christ being first place. Come on, last story. 
It's, the, it's one of the, it's so good. Mark is a master storyteller, by the way. See how they're all connected? The child, the rich guy, the disciples who still have their idea of greatness, position, and power. And then they came to Jericho, which, by the way, what was the first city that Israel, Joshua, took when they inherited the promise? You think this might be significant, Q? The new thing I'm doing through Yeshua, Josh, Jesus, who's the first to get in? This is so good. As Jesus and his disciples, together with a large crowd, were leaving the city, a blind man, Bartimaeus, which means son of Timaeus, was sitting by the roadside begging. When he heard that it was Jesus of Nazareth, he began to shout, say it with me, Jesus, son of David. Have mercy on me. Many rebuked him, which is the sibling of indignation. He told them to be quiet, but he shouted all the more, Son of David, have mercy on me. Jesus stopped and said, Call him. So they called to the blind man, Cheer up on your feet. He's calling you. Throwing his cloak aside, he jumped to his feet and he came to Jesus. Please pay attention to verse 51. What do you want me to do for you? Jesus asked. The blind man said, Rabbi, I want to see. Go, said Jesus. Your faith has healed you. Immediately he received his sight and followed Jesus along the road. I want you to understand the, the comedy. That It's not funny, but it, it, that'd be like the genre of the storytelling brilliance of Brother Mark. The rich guy. What must I do to inherit eternal life? The one that everyone would have already thought possessed it. The blessed the upper echelon, the rich, the well-off. What must I do? Oh, gosh, let's have a talk about love and idolatry. I gotta, he goes away sad. The disciples, we want you to do for us whatever we ask. Question number two. Question number three, but this time, who's asking the question? Come on. What do you want me to do for you? Significantly, we don't know the name of the rich guy, but we know the name of the blind beggar outside of Jericho. Come on, somebody say the good news. It, the last will be first and the first will be last. It's all upside down, inside out, or we should say right side up in the kingdom of God. Listen, if we cannot be prey to 2 Corinthians 5.16, where we view each other or the world through the eyes of flesh, through the carnal eyes, in fact, Paul just says, don't do it. Don't view anyone from a worldly point of view or you'll miss the hidden treasure inside every single person. You'll think, oh, they're in, they're out, they're untouchables, they're statusless, they wouldn't get me ahead. Taking a selfie with them wouldn't cause me to have more followers on Instagram. And we just begin to act like everyone else in every other culture. And Jesus says, my kingdom does not operate in any or from any of those paradigms. We know the blind guy's name, Bartimaeus. And because he appeals to mercy, come on somebody, the humble appeal to mercy opens up all of the, all of the, 
opens up all of the resources of heaven and moves the heart of the Messiah. This guy appeals to mercy. Jesus, there is nothing I can bring to this equation. You're, the, you're on your way to Jerusalem. I, you're the son of Jesus, the son of, you're from Nazareth. You're the son of David. You're the heir. You're the king of, of the kingdom that has no end. But what I really need because of my condition, I need your mercy. And because he appeals, this guy's heart, come on somebody, 1 Peter 4 says those who've suffered in the, in the flesh are done with sin. I, I can't imagine the untold suffering that this blind man has endured. Jericho was like the Hamptons of their culture, the well-off, the second home. And here's the blind guy, but he hears of the, the man from Nazareth. He hears of the Messiah, and he knows that the son of David, he doesn't probably keep company with the likes of me, but if I can just receive some of his mercy, it might change my story, it might change the game for my life. And because he appeals through the doorway of mercy, Jesus, give me what I don't deserve. The hand of the Messiah is stretched out, and you can't miss. You have Jesus asking the lowly, brother, what can I do for you? Come on, who wants to operate out of that place with Jesus? Cornerstone Church, what can I do for you? Maybe you didn't hear me. Who wants to live out of that dynamic reality where the Son of God asks us, what can I do for you? So in summary, we're done. That's it. That's Mark 10. That's the way to the cross. And these little episodes of how we're still influenced by other leaven, other yeasts, other paradigms for life and living and Jesus is there at each point, don't hinder them. The statusless are significant in my arms and in my kingdom. I will have no rivals. There's a price to discipleship, but it's worth it when you consider what you get in exchange. You get me. To sit at my right or my left, you knuckleheads, you don't even know what you're asking. The greatest in my kingdom, they're the servants. They're the ones who realize life is not measured by what you grasp or get, by what you give and serve. And so here are some summaries, very brief, four more slides. The first story is the posture of a disciple. All of kingdom life is a gift to be received, become small and insignificant like a child and you'll find yourself in the kingdom of God. Everyone say the posture of a disciple. The priority of a disciple, the rich guy, love God first and love God most. The reality is we need a new master, and Jesus is the best. <laughs> the third episode reveals the purpose of a disciple. Strive for proximity to the king, not a position for the king, by becoming a servant of all. That's episode three of Mark chapter 10. Right or the left. And then lastly, my favorite, the privilege of a disciple having the teacher's ear because his heart and mind are being formed in us, becoming a friend of Jesus. Did you know that's the highest attained position in the kingdom, to be called his friend, to be called his beloved. And what Bartimaeus, the son of uncleanliness, shows us that when we go through the doorway of mercy, 
We don't bring our pedigree and all the things we think qualify us or disqualify us. We just come as we are. We appeal to the king and his mercy. We find ourselves brought into a friendship reality with God. How many want to grow as a disciple of these four little episodes? The posture, the priority, the purpose, and the privilege of a disciple. All from three questions. What must I do? Teacher, we want you to do for us. Bartimaeus, what can I do for you? So how do you need to respond today? There's four stories. Do you find yourself like a child this morning? Chatty, my whole life I've been considered an outcast. I've never been really welcomed. When people have looked at me and those voices that were meant to shape my identity, they crushed me all growing up. And I've, I'm, I'm that child that has felt hindered. I didn't know that God would want me. And so I've given myself to all these other things. And maybe today you're like, I want to be like story number one. I, I just want to be like a child. I don't care how small I am in anyone's eyes. I'll bring my smallness and I'll let it be enveloped in the greatness of his love for me. Is there anyone like that today who wants to just be like a child? You just want to receive the blessing of the king. Stay standing. I'm not done. Maybe you're like the rich dude. You've gotten by with a pinch of Jesus in your life, but you know there is a Niagara Falls reality in his love and his purpose and plan. But because you're settling for the sip, he wants to douse you in his love, but he's looking for a total yes. Maybe today you say, Chatty, I want to sign up. I need a new master. If that's you, would you stand to your feet? Maybe you're done negotiating. A little bit of Jesus, a little bit of me, a little bit of my ideas, a little bit of relying on this for my significance, a little bit of that. And you want to say the definitive and then ongoing yes to total transformation. Anyone like that in the house today, you want to stand up. You identify with story number two, the rich ruler. Story number three, I think there's going to be more here. You've been so striving for the position, for the possessions, for the power, for the perceived success in the eyes of your contemporaries. You have neglected the ultimate epic invitation, which is through the spirit, you can actually live in close proximity to the king. How many today wanna trade up for those things you've been striving after and want to receive the greatest invitation known to humanity. Live close to me. If that's you, would you stand? You find yourself in story number three. You've asked to sit at the right or the left, but you realize, man, I've been asking the wrong question. I want to be close to Jesus. I want to give my life away in service. If you're one of those people that have been looking for the bigger purpose, and this one's for you. Chatty, I, I, want, the, I want to serve the purpose of the king. If that's you, why don't you stand on your feet for fresh hope?
today. Story number three, greatness through serving. And then lastly, story four, you're the blind dude outside of Jericho, but you hear that the Messiah is passing by and you know that you need mercy and that you want to see. If that's you today, I want you to stand to your feet and just call on his mercy. I need what I don't deserve, but you're giving, Jesus, because you're generous and kind. Mercy meets us every morning and favor finds us each day when we're in Christ. <laughs> Jesus, we love you. We adore you. We love your word. We thank you for bringing us on a journey this morning, <laughs> giving us a front row seat. Father, for those who stood for the first call, I thank you that they are received in your arms through your love and your mercy and your grace. Those who have felt statusless, throwaways, insignificant, they are significant in your arms. They have greatness in their very DNA because they bear your mark, your image. And I pray, Lord, that you'd break off that spirit of heaviness, the orphan mentality, I don't belong, I'm not accepted. Lord, I pray that the gospel truths would break those lies off in the name of Jesus. You are loved, you are wanted, you are chosen, you are cherished, you are significant, and you belong right here in my arms. Father, for those like the rich dude, Lord, we just say, search us and know us like Psalm 139. We don't want any competing loves when it comes to the place of first place in our hearts. So search us and know us. And Lord, we're asking that you would just so be the supreme love of our lives that everything else would be a, not even a close second. Father, for those of us who've asked amiss and are longing for a greater purpose, I pray we would find our purpose through a playful, childlike spirit of joy and re receptivity and a tenacity to serve wherever we're at for the purposes of the king and his kingdom. And then, Father, for, the, for those of us who need mercy and who want to be your friend, we appeal to your mercy. Lord, shower mercy on our church, on, on our people, on those who we just desperately need to see. We want to see we want eyes to see and ears to hear what you're all about, what kingdom life is all about. So Holy Spirit, thank you that you're able to take this word and appropriate it to every heart who has a yes. So thank you, Lord, that you're touching our body. You're touching those online. You're drawing us closer to yourself. In Jesus' name, amen.